0: You're listening to Night Talk, giving you depth and texture to the conversations that matter. 33 minutes after 10 p.m., you're listening to Night Talk. My name is Oliver Dixon. Thank you so much for your company this evening. I really, really do appreciate it. The relationship between the labor federations of this country and for the most part, you know, the ANC has become increasingly fractious over the last couple of years. But every time there's a conference of sorts, a dialogue of sorts, they come together and they say, No, we're working through our issues and um, we're stronger than we've ever been. There are some issues we need to talk through, but we're stronger than we've ever been. Similarly, over the last 10 years, labor unions have all experienced dwindling membership base numbers. For a number of reasons, some members just die out. Recruiting new members into labor unions is a lot more difficult today than it was 10 years ago, given the nature and pattern of employment these days. Permanent, formal employment isn't as prevalent. I mean, it still is the largest part of our employment economy, but of our labor force, but it isn't. Uh, new employment opportunities are often uh, seasonal, sessional, contractual, limited, um, and, and fixed. As a result, recruiting members into a labor union has become increasingly more difficult, and it be, and it has become a lot more contested a space. The competition uh, amongst labor unions is a lot more vociferous today than it was, say, 20, 25 years ago. So what does that translate to? It translates to into labor unions that are not growing, in fact, are shrinking. Labor, labor unions also experience... Uh, uh, you know, splits. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if we can call them factional, but factional splits, if you will. That means that certain labor unions are not as big collectively as they were pre-splits or pre-faction uh, f- uh, fractions. So what does that mean about their power? How significant a influence do they still hold in the determination of the politics of our country, one, but also... The outcome of electoral politics. I asked this question to ask what will be the role that labor unions and federations will be playing in our electoral politics that we're 10 months away from the polls here in South Africa? And joining me for this conversation is Matthew Parks, the spokesperson for the Congress of South Africa Trade Union, KUSATU, as well as Dr. Dale McKinley. Is a research and educational officer at the international labor research and information group uh dr mckinley i'll start with you good evening welcome to the show really really do appreciate it good evening Uh,
1: oliver and to your listeners
0: are labor unions less fashionable today than they were two three decades ago
1: i wouldn't call them less fashionable i would simply say that unions have been left behind by the changes in the working class itself Uh, or they haven't necessarily all been left behind, but they've uh, been standing still and, as you mentioned, have in numbers. Because, let me just, you, you mentioned in your introduction that the majority of the labor force is permanent. That is not correct. The majority of the labor force in this country is casual, and a casual in many different kinds of ways. And this is particularly the case within the private sector, less so within the public sector. But what has happened over the last 20, 25 years is a fundamental shifting of the nature of the workers and the working class. And as a result, unions have uh, been in in the context of a dwindling membership, but also politically uh, in South Africa, uh, unless you're allied to a particular political party, like Kassatu has been with the ANC, uh, then the the context of of the political uh, influences has waned as well in the context of the power to bring people onto the streets, workers uh, shut down the economy, put pressure on the decision makers and the policy makers. So what you have in many cases is, as you have a a gap between what the leadership of a movement and a a labor movement or a union is saying in the official positions and the ability to translate that into politics and power on the ground. And as a result of that, What you see is usually shifting alliances, moving around in terms of electoral politics and different unions and labor federations uh, becoming much more practical, I think, in the way that they relate to the political world uh, outside of, you know, contesting power uh, in in that context, because that's not even on the agenda at this stage.
0: Yeah. So so, so let's just go back to that. You you argue that the working class of South Africa, I don't know if it's true for the rest of the world, but the working class in South Africa has changed from predominantly permanent to mostly casual. Uh, We've seen most of that happen in the private sector. That means labor has far less influence over private capital, but continues to have influence over state power.
1: Well, I, I wouldn't necessarily say state power. As I would probably say, that there are there's influences within very particular kinds of sectors. So where you have, for example, large unions such as NUMSA uh, within the metal and manufacturing industries and everything's, its its power to negotiate better deals, negotiate higher wages is greater, and it, it therefore carries along where unions. Are weaker politically, is in the overall political and policy realm. So what you have is you have specific agreements. You can have specific unions getting uh, concessions from governments in the public sector. But the way in which governments' macroeconomic policy and larger scale policy regime has taken place has basically told the unions to get lost, essentially. Because if you if you think about what Casato has said, what Softu has said, even Fedusa, which is sort of a, a more mainstream political uh, positions. The, the, generally speaking, the government has not uh, implemented the kinds of economic policies that would benefit workers. So, what you see is you see a dichotomy between the power uh, to be able to influence particular sectoral policies, but not on the macroeconomic side.
0: Matthew Parks, postperson of COSAT, is also with us. Matthew? Um... Would you say, and perhaps because you are in the labor movement, I do have to ask you this from an insider's view, have labor unions become less fashionable than, say, uh, two to three decades ago?
2: Uh, no, they haven't. I mean, because don't take my word for it. Just take the, the membership figures from the Department of Labor. It's actually not true to say the you know, membership is dwindling. Um, unless you have a dwindling being that they are I many as-is. Doesn't mean they're great, but they're not dwindling that. That's just a factual correction. Union membership in South Africa is about three million out of about sixty million workers. So on face value that looks quite bad. It's not great, it's about twenty-seven percent. That wouldn't look good in normal mathematical terms, but it's been stable at that level for the past, you know, a couple of decades. So it's good that it's you know managed to withstand quite a few economic structural shifts. I think Dale was kind of alluding to, you know, the rise of casualization and so forth which is often a sector which is very difficult for unions across the world to, to enter for obvious reasons. Yeah. But as bad as that kind of looks, you think hey, only one out, of, one out of four workers is united. That's not great. But when you compare to international trends, actually it's quite strong internationally. And if you look at other parts of the world, like in the United States, um, where unions really had got to, got to you know, start ahead of the rest of the world in the 1800s, their union membership has decreased in the last few decades from about 30% to about 10% today. So it's a mixed bag. We actually have expected as COSATU that our membership would take a significant hit during COVID-19 when we lost about 2 million jobs in the economy. We're actually quite surprised the membership didn't take a hit, it actually began to increase because many unions wanted to join COSATU. They felt the protection of numbers. Um, also, many workers, when they see a crisis, like any other human being. They look, okay, how do I protect myself? How do I protect myself when I went up in the health and safety of the workplace because of COVID, the pandemic? How do I protect my job when I see retentions taking place? The century, or how do I protect my wages and my conditions of service when I see employers across the sector undermining collective agreements and so forth? So it's a mixed bag.
0: Um, okay. means... can, can I then, just for clarity's sake, uh, where you started, is, am I understanding you correct uh, to understand or to, deuce, to deduce from what you're saying that there are more South Africans unionized today than there were at the start of our democracy?
2: It hasn't increased a huge amount, there is more, and that's, you know, there were some initial shifts, why there was more, because in 1994, before 1994, <clears throat> public servants were not able to unite easily. Public service also was restricted to white people. So you had, after 1994, you had a large amount of Africans, blacks, colored, Indians, et cetera. Being able to, one, join the public service, and they're more inclined to join unions. Two, the unions could now organize the public service. It didn't have a hostile employer like you did before 1994. So that was a shift. Um, and of course, even across the private sector too, unions will recognize the rights to unions was put in the constitution and so forth. So there was an increase up in 1994, and hence you saw Kassar to peak at about two million members <clears> over <throat> a few years ago. So it's a mixed bag, and then it's a big yeah. progress. And you'll find in certain sectors of the economy, the union density is very, very high, yeah. reaching almost 100%, like the mining industry, <coughs> clothing industry, et cetera. Then you've got other sectors, which, not just in South Africa, but across the world, it's very difficult to organize, like the agricultural sector, domestic workers, construction workers, um, the casual workers. And you've seen a huge rise in the casualization, of they thing over the last two decades in South Africa and across the world. You know, about a few years ago, we had about a million casual workers. That's really increased to about 4 million today. So there really is a, quite a significant amount of structural shifts taking place in our economy across the world. And then that's going to gather momentum with the fourth industrial revolution, with remote work,
0: yeah,
2: and so forth. So we've well, got <clears throat> uncharted territory, so to speak.
0: Yeah, D- Dale, you seem to be of the impression that unions have been left behind. Uh, Matthew says no. In fact, more South Africans are unionized today okay. than. Uh, if, if the, the
1: question the question you were asking, Oliver, was politically. It was, a, it was a political question. So we can talk numbers in terms of the and, – and and the 16 million that Matthew's talking about is not even half the actual – it's a question of how we define the workforce and how we define workers, whether they're employed or unemployed, and how, and how the mass retrenchments that have taken place have essentially impoverished a, a half, if not more, of that working class. So you have to look at the membership in relative terms to that larger number of but irrespective of that, the question that I was addressing was so. so, so perhaps political let me,
0: so, so let me then perhaps ask this question. Where, where do unions, uh, labor unions, uh, locate the source of their power and influence from? Is it from relationships? Is it from history? Or is it from the size of memberships? It's
1: from their ability to put pressure on capital and the government in order to be, be able to interest, uh, represent the interests of their members. That's the power of unions. So if the power, the unions only have relevance to the extent and in terms of their workforce and their membership, to the extent that they're servicing those workers right. and they're improving their lives, they're defending their interests. So if you look at that, then it's a mixed bag, as, as Matthew said, but in political terms. And you're asking a questions of electoral influence and, and and the role in political terms. What I was trying to say was right. the difference between the, between that membership and then translating that into political influence and power are two different things.
0: Right, right. Matthew, do you agree uh, about where unions locate, labor unions locate their their influence and power?
2: Yeah. Look, it really it really varies significantly. Um, so you was right, you know, the NUMSA, which organized the metal workers' industry, you know, car manufacturing, et cetera, is very strong there, organization quite strong. Similarly, in the clothing and industry sector, works very strong there, and so forth. And this hasn't been easy Victor, they managed to achieve. It's taken decades of hard work, smart thinking, strategic intervention, et cetera, to build that. You remember that in the 1990s, the clothing industry lost half its workforce when the tariffs were, were lifted and Chinese imports flooded in, you know. Um, you'll find at times, you know the point about political influence it's a mixed bag, so some would say, well, you are know, not happy about the macroeconomic strategy of government, um government economic policies clearly have not produced the results, no anybody would have wanted you know if you have an unemployment rate of forty two percent um poverty inequality, et cetera. other hand, one could also say that well, actually they are having many victories you need, like crosada managed to 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 win, not perfect victories, victories of limitations, et cetera. So, for example, during COVID-19, over the past two the years of the lockdown, we managed to release about $64 billion grand from the unemployment insurance fund to help 5.7 million workers in the private sector who weren't getting paid or got paid half the salary because the companies were closed and were obviously bleeding financially. That's something significant. Uh, we managed to achieve a national minimum wage. Again, not perfect. All of these have limitations in mm. um, 2019. Some would say, well, it's a poverty wage, and that's true. <coughs> but it raised the wages of about 6 million workers. Sure who are getting paid basically slavery wages. So my point is that there are victories, there are setbacks, there are bumps in the road. But I think the main thing is that to remember, unions exist not to entertain anybody, they exist to, to defend the rights of members, to the rights of workers and so forth, to take up battles. And I think as long as you see progress with all of the, the issues and the setbacks, that's the point. <coughs> unions are not political parties, they don't run governments, so they don't have a magic wand to say, well, we decide this, that's what's gonna happen. It takes real hard work, it takes constant pushing and struggle. Contestation and you win some battles, I and mean, then sometimes you also you have setbacks as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's take a quick break. I'm taking your reactions to this. Give me a call: 000-2032 Taking your WhatsApp voice notes on 0614-104-107 SMS SAFM now on four one three nine one. Night talk with Oliver Dixon. 10 minutes to the top of the hour, 11 o'clock. You are listening to Night Talk. My name is Oliver Dixon. Thank you so much for your time. Really, really do appreciate it. I'm in conversation with Matthew Parks. Matthew is the spokesperson of COSATU, as well as Dr. Dale McKinley, who's a research and educational officer at the International Labor Research and Information Group. Matthew, how would you describe the relationship today between COSATU and the ANC versus, say, 20 years ago? Yeah,
2: I mean, I would even say... Maybe thirty years ago, after the 1994 honeymoon period. Look, I think it's a the best way to characterize it. Um, it it's like a, any other dysfunctional marriage. Um, it has its ups and its downs. There are many good things. The many things we get out of it that other unions don't manage to achieve. That we manage to achieve because we had this relationship. We're able to phone a minister, phone a president, uh, make our demands, etc. But equally, there are many major setbacks. And you know, fundamentally, we can never be celebrating anything if they have an unemployment rate of 42%, because that's just simply a disaster, it's a ticking time bomb. But you know, also look at, and I think Dale made a good point, a, you know, a important point that humans want to improve the lives of workers by exercising political power, whether in alliance or not. But in South Africa, that best vehicle all of its limitations has been the ANC, with lots of limitations that even ANC members are frustrated by. But if you look at the political landscape, Far worse. Leaves very little to be inspired by. It. I think the broader, the broader, larger public, growing public, also feels the same way. And hence, if I'm most of the smaller parties, there's a huge gap between them and the ANC. And I think, look, all of us like to kick the ANC around, and, and largely deservedly so. But I think also to be fair to the ANC, most of the demons it's facing—corruption, tenderpreneurship, factionism, all these social vices—to refer to them, those vices are. Predominantly predominant in all political parties in South Africa. Sadly, in fact, they're across South Africa in all organizations, whether it's churches, civics, even unions have the same problem, and no one is immune to it. So I think it's a mixed bag. Um, but, I mean, we, you know, workers have, at each of our Congress have decided that they want to support the ANC. They've raised sharply, privately and publicly, as we all know, their frustrations. But we also acknowledge that there are also good things we've managed to achieve, like recognition of trade unions, labor rights, Many recent benefits people often tend to for, tend to take for granted. You know, we see, we improve maternity leave benefits, for example, to cover stillborn births, miscarriages and so forth. We put for, uh, past paid paternity Yeah. And those are incremental changes <clears> that people say, ah, well that's not that'll make a fundamental difference. But you know, incrementally they begin to create a package of better lives for workers in the longer term. And I know at times it's very frustrating because everybody wants instant change, which is natural. Um but sadly it you know, the nature of struggle or class struggle. These things take time. But I think, again, you know, other things we can point to with the chief, yes, are the setbacks that we're not happy with, equally, yes, but I think that has to motivate us to be smart and, and yeah. also say, not only must you work at the ANC, must work at the unions outside of COSATU, yeah. but you work at other federations because at the end of the day, the challenges that face workers face all of them irrespective of the color of their T-shirts. Yeah. Dale, would
0: you, yeah. uh, would, would you say, very specific to COSATU, that uh, it has been a mistake in their political life uh, uh, lifetime to have been remained in our dem- democratic dispensation, aligned to the ANC?
1: Yes, I took that position uh, 25, 30 years ago when I was an elected representative of the South African Communist Party. Um, and uh, I was a full-time employee of the SACP and I was expelled from my criticism, uh, amongst other things, from my criticism of the the nature of the alliance. And I was of the opinion and still have been and always will be that uh, workers generally need to be independent of political parties, uh, whatever that political party is. Uh, not only to represent their interests and not get caught up and not have a conveyor belt of careerism, which has unfortunately been a cancer within many, many different unions, irrespective of their political affiliation. But in the case of Kasatu I think the track record is is one. I mean, Matthew is presenting a case of sort of balance, some good, some bad. But if we look at the last 30 years and what the expectations of workers were and what the realities of service delivery, the realities of retrenchments, the realities of inequality, the realities of a range of different things, it's the track record is not great. And Kasatu itself has, I, I think, its influence, its political influence has waned as a result of that, not because there's any intention to do that, but because the nature of the relationship is not in favor of workers, and it never will be, because predominantly and fundamentally, the ANC is a party that does, is not a party of the working class, it's not a party that services workers, it can be sympathetic at a certain particular time. But after 30 years, many, many workers are looking for alternatives and more structural and radical alternatives Uh, and that's yes it's a it's a of course class struggle is going to take a long time and of course nothing is going to pop out of mid air but my opinion i think the the and the perspective of many is if the workers and the unions and others would build a real workers movement unify themselves across different ideological differences to a certain extent and unify themselves their force their political force and their ability to to really extract much much more yeah. later and i think that's the lesson of the last 30 years
0: yeah let's go to the lines give me a call zero eight six triple zero two zero three two lake out in durban Lake, good evening
3: hey no thank you very much uh that's the topic um shoot straight for it go uh, ahead I th- I, yeah, yeah thank you very much yeah, uh, the, the 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 last call. Uh, sorry i just joined late and i heard that it was talking about uh, uh <laughs> um, uh, I was hoping when there was a split uh, or the fight between Mpegi and Zuma, uh, the SACP uh, was going to go its own way. Uh, but I think this uh, umbilical code uh, between the SACP uh, and the ANC is really distorting uh, what we are dealing with. Uh, let's agree... Or rather, no no. Let me say the ANC is an elitist party, it's no longer a socialist party, uh, let alone communist party. Yeah. So I think the SACP and Labour organizations, uh, I wouldn't say they must wake up. I think they know that they should be doing what they're supposed to be doing, but the challenge is that they are Getting their leaders to be appointed by ANC into government and structures. Um, and, uh, I'm trying to say the right way. Yeah. Uh, no, but I think yeah, I think yeah. your
0: your point is made there. So I'm going to have to leave yeah. it there. Thanks a lot, Lucky. I really Thank appreciate you. it. Thanks. Thank okay. you so much, Thank you. Matthew. Is there room? Um, and is this an opportunity where we are right now in our democracy, given that the ANC is likely to lose uh a, a governance power in next year's election? Is this an opportunity? for labor unions and federations to reinvent itself and realign its purpose. Yeah, but
2: unions you know, like any organization has to constantly reinvent itself. You can't rest upon the levels of past victories. i sure you appreciate them, it's important to acknowledge them and to learn from them, but you've got to constantly deal today's challenges and, and focus on tomorrow's battles. So you have to constantly reinvent themselves, they have to keep up with the changes in society, otherwise you will get left behind like a other organization. But I think for us, you know, there have been many things. And um, for us, it has worked actually quite well for COSATO to be, have this access to, to state power, all of its limitations, because as the consequence of that, we have a progressive labor laws today. When we talk to and meet our colleagues from other unions across Africa, the world, Latin America, Asia, and so forth, even in Europe, they're amazed at how far we managed to achieve on the legislative front. Most of the unions can't even phone a minister being arrested. We're able to fund a mess and have a fight. We get one thing sorted out. We can't get another thing sorted out. But there is still benefit to it. And call it a right, it's not a working class party. It's a multi-class party. It always has been. It's been a site of contestation. And we've approached it like that. Like we approach bargaining councils, like parliament, any other forum. We contest them. We raise our issues. We try to see what we can achieve. And you win some, you lose some. But the point is to constantly push in the envelope. Okay. It's very easy to sit back and just fold up one's arm and say, well, too difficult, let me just theorize it. But that's not going to improve any workers' lives. But I think your point, lastly, is that we're not putting all eggs in on one basket. Yes, we work at ANC, but equally we work at federations. We're not supporting ANC like Producers, and 2 after we work with unions like Solidarity, so well, how, what we've done, how can we work together? because we need to constantly improve workers' lives, irrespective of what party they support.
0: Dale, we have a minute left, literally a minute. I want you to answer the same question for me. Is this an opportunity where we are in our democracy for labour unions and federations to reinvent itself and realign its purpose?
1: Absolutely. There is a massive opportunity, and I think not just in South Africa, but globally. I think uh, it's ever—it's all unions are needed more than ever, but different kinds of unions, going back to a social unionism, going back to the basics of organising, Uh, building shop floor democracy and and a real, real worker control. I think, so, absolutely, nobody is here theorizing these things. People are doing them all across the world in different ways, and there are many different examples of this. And I think in South Africa, in the context of our history, sometimes we are clinging on to the past a bit too much, and old ways of doing things and old ways of thinking, because they are quite comfortable and they've delivered a certain amount. But it is going to move. The, The world is moving. We haven't even talked about all the different nature of, of what's going to affect workers in the next 20 years so not only organizationally but in terms of strategically if unions don't move then they will become irrelevant not necessarily to to uh, increasingly you know a smaller number of members i would argue over the next 20 or 30 years but they'll put, be politically sidelined and what will happen is workers themselves will begin to, to make new forms of organization as they always have been that where which can deliver to them whether we call those unions or other things i'm not sure
0: yep Thank you so much for your time this evening, Matthew Dale. Really, really do appreciate it. We're going to have to leave it there. I'm taking your reactions on the other side of that. Give me a call: zero eight six triple zero two zero three two zero eight six triple zero two zero three two. It's a minute after eleven o'clock. Let's take your final news bulletin.